And please rise if you're able for the reading of God's word. John chapter 5, verses 16 through 30. Now because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts to receive and obey this teaching of Jesus about himself, about what he shows you are, and what difference it makes that we would respond to him with faith and trust. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Mary and I have been using a devotional called Voices from the Past. I've referred to it before. Uh, last year we came to a series of, oh, I don't know, six, seven, eight by Jeremiah Burroughs that were so insightful. I just thought, this is great. It was, it was Christian counseling and insight, and, and he was so on the ball in terms of human nature and how we respond. And I was just thinking, this is great. And we came later to another series by Jeremiah Burroughs, but this time instead of talking about insights into our faith, our response to how we live, how we react, he was talking about the theology of Christ. And as I was listening to it, I found myself with my own eyes glazing over, thinking, well, I know this, I know that, and I, but we have to think about what difference does it make in our lives. And then I realized this. Why is it, when we focused on who Jesus is, 
what he has done, what it all means, that we somehow think it doesn't apply to life that practically. That is Satan's lie. It is a veil cast over our lives. And as I read this passage, compared to last week's when Jesus did a miracle with the man who was by the pool for 38 years, and perhaps there's something abiding in your life that you're frustrated with, and yes, you do want to be healed. You want to be healed physically. You want to be healed spiritually. There's a natural connect. How many of you, as I read this passage, found your mind wandering? Hmm, caught you right now. And I studied in the commentary and I thought, how am I, going to, how am I going to make this fresh? How am I going to make this alive? As though it's up to me to make God's word fresh and alive. But it, it is in some ways the preacher's role to proclaim it effectively. It is the living word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to our hearts. I don't want to be a sheath that blunts it. How can I do this? And at first I thought, well, the parallel is last week I asked, do you want to be healed physically? And spiritually. That, that was the dynamic. And, and this week I was planning on saying, do you want to see God? It's a rhetorical question that exposes much. Because as we read in the passage in our prayer of confession, uh, I don't know if we want to see God. It exposes us. If we want to do what we want to do, we don't want to get that close to him because he's in charge. And, and he's God. And we want to hide in the darkness. So I thought, that's a really good uh, title for this. But then as I was doing the homework, doing the commentary work, I came to this point that I didn't immediately see. Because it's very technical. It's interesting how understanding something technical may make a lot of difference in the passage. And that is the tense of the verb when in, in verse 17 it says, Jesus said to them, and then the same, uh, same verb, same tense, In verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. That verb was in the tense that was not used in common conversation and in ordinary documents uh, from the period. Do you know where it was found? It was found in legal documents. This is courtroom language. It would best be, be translated as, and Jesus answered their charge. And when I saw that, with all that has been going on in our culture, I realized the drama of this passage is that the Pharisees were out to impeach Jesus. Ah. The impeachment of Jesus. And I did think about three or four times, should I put that as the sermon title? I'm not trying to draw a straight line connection between President Trump and Jesus. They're not equals. Okay, you, you get that. But there's something about the impeachment itself, about the clash of those who are in authority that is dramatic. And that is what is going on in this passage. The Pharisees were leveling a charge at Jesus. Why were they doing this? Well, it goes back to our previous passage that Jesus had healed this invalid who had sat by a pool for 38 years. It won't summarize much of last week's sermon but uh, Jesus asked him do you want to get well and he said I can't nobody's here to help me into the pool they were thought were thought to have healing powers and Jesus healed him and it was on the Sabbath day and he told the man get up pick up your mat so he got up and picked up his mat and was walking along carrying his mat on the Sabbath day which contradicted the Pharisees laws about the Sabbath 
And so the Pharisees came to that man and said, who told you? Uh, so they said back in uh, uh, verse 10, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man didn't know who it was. He was really oblivious. Jesus came to him and confronted him spiritually. Stop sinning. Again, something the man couldn't fix himself. Just as he couldn't make it into the pool for physical healing, he couldn't stop sinning for his spiritual healing. That was a work for Jesus to do on the cross to pay the penalty of sin and the work of the Spirit to give him power to want to embrace that Savior and to follow Christ. And, and then we find forgiveness of sins that leads us into heaven. That's beyond our reach. It was beyond this man's reach. He hasn't gotten it yet. The man just goes back to the Pharisees and says, his name's Jesus. D.A. Carson, the commentary I'm reading, said it was more that the man was dull, meaning dumb, not sharp. He wasn't aware of the issues than it was he was treacherous. I don't believe he was trying to get Jesus in trouble. The Pharisees had just asked, who was it? So he went back and told them. But he got Jesus in trouble. Now the Pharisees aren't concerned with this man just carrying a mat on the Sabbath and they were the local school monitors, you know, the hall monitors in school. You know, picking on everybody. Now they're upset at Jesus for doing this on the Sabbath. Verse 16 picks up with, So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Again, the verb tense is important because it's, it's translated well here. He was doing these things on the Sabbath. It wasn't just this one event. Jesus kept doing these things on the Sabbath, and, and it was the, the composite. It was, they were realizing, here's this new guy that people are beginning to flock to, and it's, a threaten, it's, it's threatening their authority as the religious leaders, and he is breaking apart their case law about how to honor God and be obedient. So they bring the first article of impeachment. They say, you are breaking the Sabbath. They began to persecute him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. There are several things about this uh, answer. In the first place, Jesus didn't say, Our father who is, is always at work identifying himself with others who would believe in God and placing himself on the level of human beings believing in God. He said, my father, they recognized that distinct claim. And they objected to that distinct claim. That's what, that's what issues in the second article of impeachment here. But he makes a point about what God the father does. My father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. Say, so, well, wait a minute. If we read the creation account in Genesis, it said on the seventh day, God himself rested. He ceased from his labors. He had finished his creative work. It was complete and done. And he sat back to glory in his creation. He said, it is very good. It's just like you when you finish working on something, a, a, a craft or, or a, a just a project that you have. And when you get it done, you don't just immediately go off to the next thing. You sit back 
and you enjoy the accomplishment of it, don't you? And when you do, what you've accomplished in, in that sense is bringing praise and glory to you because, oh, it is good. You know that feeling? That's God when he ceased from his labor. He enjoyed his creation. And creation had its purpose in glorifying God by loving him and obeying him because it wasn't just an inanimate, inanimate creation. He put his image bearers into our world that we would love him and obey him, have fellowship with him. And God delighted in, the, in that. Even then, and this was discussed among the Pharisees of Jesus' day, God finished his creative work, but he didn't stop working because his creation was sustained every day by his hand, by his power. So God never stopped working in his sustaining work. He'd finished his creative work. Now he's sustaining. Then what happened? Our first parents rebelled against God, were indifferent to him, disobeyed him. They sinned and fell and were cast out of the garden, and God began a new work, the work of redemption, the covenant of grace. And God was doing that work until it is accomplished. And it's accomplished already in, in part By Christ's work on the cross, it will be accomplished in full when he comes again. God is at work redeeming us to himself. So when Jesus says, my father is always at his work, he's not referring to his original creative work. God completed that. He's talking about his sustaining and redeeming work. And he's touching a nerve that the Pharisees would have been familiar with that discussion. My father is always at work. They got his point. He said, and I too am working. Whoa, Nelly! He said, my father, and he's putting himself on the level of God, not the, the creatures, the followers who are under the law. In its essence, Jesus' answer to the first article of impeachment, where they said, you're breaking the Sabbath, was not, no, I'm not really. Let me, let's figure out what the law says. He didn't go into a defensive posture. He just said, I am. With all of that theological claim, to who he was and his right to be at work, doing redemptive work such as healing the man by the pool. Just a small taste of the restoration Jesus was bringing to us. They flipped out. So they brought a second article of impeachment. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus answered this charge. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. And notice this. He didn't go into a defensive posture and say, no, 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 I'm not really making myself evil with God, trying to appease them. He said, I am. You're, You're making yourself equal with God? I am. That's the heart of his His answer. And we know that that was the holy name of God in the Old Testament. He was claiming to be God, God the Son. He said, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. That's the heading. That's the summation of his defense. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. And then he gives four fours. Supporting his answer. Four F-O-R, you know, F-O-R apostrophe S. Four of those becauses. 
In our English translations, just for the sake of redundancy, they, they do change it up a little bit. The first four in the NIV says, because. It, the Greek, though, has the same, same four words that's, that's translated for. He can only do what he sees his father doing for. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Then the second four, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Let's just stop there for a second. A few years ago, uh, we had a, you know, I can't remember if it was a Christmas pageant or a VBS. But we had a screen up here on the stage. I said, leave that. I'm going to use that this Sunday. And we had a children's sermon message. I had the children come up, and I put a mirror up on the stage. And then I stepped behind the screen, and I asked, can you see me? Half the kids said, yes, because they were looking in the mirror. The other half said, no, because they thought I was behind the screen. And I said, look in the mirror. Can you see me? And they all said, Yes. You see, the Son is the very image of God the Father. No one has seen God. He's transcended. He's beyond our vision, beyond our reach. But God has expressed himself in the Son. And the Son only does what he sees his Father doing. The image in the mirror is entirely dependent on the person being reflected. If I'd raise my hands or wave to the kids, they'd see the image in the mirror, but it was because The image was reflecting what I was doing. That's what Jesus says. What I do is what God is doing. And he he makes sure that we know how thorough it is. My mirror was so small that you couldn't see the hands and the feet at the same time. I couldn't reveal everything. But Jesus made this claim. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. So there's no possibility that Jesus, in expressing God to us, makes a mistake and leaves something out that God wants to reveal to us. Because Jesus, the Son, knows everything. The Father loves the Son and shows him everything he does. Okay. Then the third four says, For just as the Father raises the dead... And gives them life. Do you see the crescendo in this? The the, uh, occasion for this was the healing at the pool. One who was was invalid, lame or sick, couldn't walk, uh, was made well. This is about raising the dead. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Almost picture the, the, the cartoon versions of something like Lord of the Rings where the character gets twice as tall. Now Jesus in his physical stature didn't, stay, didn't change in size or anything like that, but he's beginning to show his authority. It's up to him. He gives life to whomever he is pleased to give it. And he's facing down the Pharisees bringing these articles of impeachment against him. Moreover, this is your fourth four. And actually, the NIV's translation is is good because there is this crescendo to this. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. 
That's the fourth four. So the Pharisees who have brought these uh, articles of impeachment against Jesus, you're breaking the Sabbath and you're claiming to be God and they think they have him. And Jesus says, I'm just doing what God my father does. And he's always at work, even on the Sabbath. This is God's redemptive work that I am doing. And yes, I am God. He didn't shrink from that. He affirmed that and he said, and I am given the the role, the responsibility for judgment of you. He turns it on its head and the verdict is against the Pharisees. Uh, Please don't turn this into a political statement. I'm not trying to do... Everybody has an opinion about impeachment this week. I am sure. I'm sure everybody has an opinion. But guess what? What happened this week is not life or death for us. But this is life or death for us about Jesus. He's the one that gives life to whom he pleases. And he's the one who will come, as we say in the Apostles' Creed, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's his responsibility. And the Father does it through the Son. So the verdict is this. All, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And the Pharisees were indicted, convicted by the judge of all the universe. Then he underlines it with the remaining part of our text. He just fleshes out the same things. He says, I tell you the truth. The truly, truly, I say to you, verily, verily, absolutely, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He, who, he has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a reference to a prophecy in Daniel of one who comes like the Son of Man. He comes incarnate. But he's coming from the throne of the ancient of days. This is God coming to us. It's it's a marvelous Old Testament prophecy about the incarnation of God the Son coming to judge. So when it says the Son of Man and the Son of God, both referring to Jesus in his divine nature incarnate. He says, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is the last nail in this case. When Jesus is saying earlier, when he said the Father judges no one, uh, he has entrusted the, the Son with judgment doesn't mean that the father is up there and he doesn't care which way it goes. It means that the father doesn't judge directly except through his son. And here Jesus is saying, my judgment is my father's judgment. 
the Pharisees, Pharisees have come to convict him, he says, no, I convict you, and my judgment is my father's judgment. Whoa, Nellie. They're in trouble. They didn't stop. They went on through the, the three years of Jesus' ministry until they thought they got him on the cross. That's when they thought they got him. And Jesus went to the cross saying, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. This is what he came to do, to go to the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. This is why he is the Messiah. This is why he is the Savior. He's the one that does the ultimate redeeming work to reconcile us to God by paying for our sins on the cross. So if you want to know what God is doing, if you had a window in your your house that's like that science fiction porthole and you could just open up that window and look out and see in heaven God himself and what he's doing, would you open that window? Would you want to know who God is and what he's doing? We, we We would think we'd say, yes, I want to see that. Wow. But actually, when we stop and think about it, our human nature wants to go hide in the dark, crawl under the bed. We don't want that exposure unless we know we have the reconciliation that is ours in Christ. If we know we have forgiveness of our sins, we can open that window and look and see who God is. When we look at the cross, what do we, what do we learn as we study Jesus, as we think of who he is? We learn two, two big things. There are lots of things we learn about God, but we learn two big ones. One is that God is holy and just. We look at the cross and we see the just punishment for our sin. We look at the cross and its physical suffering. And the, the more you study that and the more you realize the physical agonies of the cross, you realize what a horrible death Jesus went through to pay for our sins. And that's just the tip of the iceberg because his spiritual agony, taking upon himself our sin, being when we're united by faith to Jesus, our sin becomes his sin. He died not because he deserved it, because he, but because he died in our place. And when we see the wrath of God poured out on our sin, the physical agonies only are the tip of the iceberg to the spiritual agonies that Jesus swallowed hell for us in our place. That's what we learn of God. He is holy and just. We often say we look at the cross and we learn about the love of God, but if you skip the holiness and the, the justice of God and the wrath of God, if you skip that, you, you gut the depth of his love for us. The whole point is he did it not just as an arbitrary show of this is what I'm willing to sacrifice. I'll just say my son, sacrifice him. If it's arbitrary, if that's not what was meant for us as justice for our sins, if it wasn't needed, it's crazy. But if it is what it took to pay the penalty for our sin and God was willing to send his son into the world, it's no wonder that John 3.16 that it was motivated by God's love. He so loved the world that he wanted to redeem us to himself. He sent his son 
into the world, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. He will not perish, but have everlasting life. We learn the love of God on the cross when we understand his holiness, that he would punish sin, that he must punish sin, and Jesus did it in our place. So we learn the love of Jesus, who does everything his Father does. He so loved us that he is our great shepherd, gave his life for his sheep. Look at Jesus. Revel in Jesus. And that's your window to look through and see who God is and what he's doing. But you see the response that it demands of you. Do you identify with the Pharisees who even got to the point later in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they said, if we don't stop him now, the whole world is going to believe in him. Their rejection of Jesus was not rational. Neither is ours. If anyone is here who is just really resisted and, and, and rejected, it's, it's not rational. It's emotional. It's volitional. It means it's your will. And it makes sense if you want to do what you want to do that you're going to run. But it's not really rational that you would look at the cross and turn away from the one who broke the power of sin and death by his resurrection. All the evidence is right there before you. Can you see it? When you see Jesus, you see who God is and what he is doing. We come to the Lord's Supper now. Take it to ourselves. Don't take it lightly. Yes, it's just, it's unleavened bread. Our children always point out to me, that looks like crackers. We don't, why don't we have bread? We have crackers. It's unleavened bread. That's the kind of bread Jesus would have had at the Last Supper. The cup that we take, uh, we, we use new wine. The Bible would have called grape juice new wine because there are some who struggle with alcoholism. We don't, we don't do that. And we start thinking about these little things, and you take it. And, and if you're just thinking about those things, you're missing the point. You are taking into your hands physical elements that Jesus consecrated at the Last Supper when he celebrated the Passover before he went to the cross and said, this is my body, this is my blood. It doesn't physically become the body and blood. It signifies the body and blood. And as we take it to ourselves, we are taking Jesus saying, I need you, my Savior, my Redeemer, what you've done for me. Thank you. In your holiness, you punished sin, but you took that punishment on yourself. And as you take the Lord's Supper to yourself, let go of those sins that you cling to, that selfishness, that pride, that anger, that resentment, that whatever it is, let go of it and repent of it and say, I can't make up for it myself. Because of what you've done for me, I'm forgiven and changed and moved to leave this place to follow you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we look at Jesus and all that he faced, that we see the Son of God who reflects his Father's will, his Father's person, his Father's holiness and justice, his Father's grace and mercy. Father, we praise you for this and pray that as we take the Lord's Supper now that you would feed us spiritually, that you would do something beyond uh, the here and now, that we would leave this place full of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.